Scottish Mortgage seeks out lateral thinkers like academics, authors and experts in the industry to shape our investment ideas. Not the usual suspects and narrow mindset of financial analysts and investment industry commentators. That way, we continue to build a portfolio that reflects real-world progress, not financial world noise. Scottish Mortgage is managed by Bailey Gifford. A key information document is available by visiting baileygifford.com. As with any investment, capital is at risk. In many ways, RDR was the rarest of things, a regulatory success. Despite pressure from many in the industry, the regulator went ahead with a radical set of reforms that put consumers first before the interests of big business. But no industry reforms are ever perfect. While RDR has improved so much in the advice sector, it has also led to some unintended consequences. Now, 10 years on, we look back at the history of RDR. In this three-part series, we speak to the key players involved at advice firms, the FCA, and in the wider industry to dig deep into the biggest ever change to the UK advice market. I am Jack Gilbert. And I am Charles Wormsley. And this is the story of the RDR. Episode 3, The Verdict. Today, the world of advice is miles away from the pre-RDR era. Gone are the days of product selling for commissions and hidden conflicts of interest. We now have a modern, well-qualified financial planning profession focused on helping people achieve their life goals. Therese Chambers is the FCA's Director of Consumer Investments. I think the um, the RDR has actually transformed the advice market. Um, it's not perfect. There is definitely more to do. But if you look at the the change, you know, the move away from commission payments towards the charging of transparent fees, that's fundamentally changed the incentive structure um, in this market. Whereas previously, um, advisors were incentivized to sell something. Um, now they are incentivized to give good advice, um, and that is a fundamental change. Uh, I would also see the huge increase in professionalism as a really fundamental change. Um, and what we've seen is that um, customer satisfaction has gone up. Um, the levels of complaints have gone down. Professionalism and higher standards of advice were not the only benefits. With product commission gone, one US fund manager decided to enter the UK market in the run-up to RDR with a low-cost range of passive multi-asset funds. Ten years later, Vanguard's life strategy funds have assets of more than £35 billion and their success has helped drive prices down for retail consumers, both advised and non-advised. So RDR was a complete success? Well, perhaps not entirely. While the reforms did not lead to the advisor exodus that many were predicting, we have found ourselves with a significant advice gap. According to the FCA, only 8% of all UK adults, or 4.1 million people, received financial advice in 2020. This may seem like a low figure, but when you compare it to the fact that according to the FCA, 
11% of consumers have invested in high-risk investments like crypto without getting advice. You can see, we might have a problem. The FCA has even acknowledged that not enough people are getting advice at the moment. In terms of the access to advice, we have seen improvement there. Um, it's not as, as large as we would ideally have liked to see. Um, and you'll be aware that we've um, very recently issued some further um, consultation proposals, which are designed at really opening up um, the uh, financial advice um, for consumers. You have simpler needs, more straightforward needs. You just need to get into the world of investing. Um, but, you know, there has been an increase um, in take up of advice. Despite this advice gap, it is interesting to note the number of advisors has gone up since RDR. In our last episode, we talked about the 20,453 advisor number on the 31st of December 2012. Well, by 2021, this number had gone up to 36,674. So if advisor numbers are up, then what has caused the advice gap? Well, post-RDR, advisors began to focus on much wealthier clients. Previously, advice was transactional with no ongoing advice fee. But today, if you are serving a client for 20 years or more and taking an annual advice fee, often 1%, then the commercials mean advisors will inevitably focus on the wealthier prospects. And then pension freedoms landed in 2015. This was coupled with a huge surge in pension transfer values. Advisors were now dealing with a glut of rich baby boomers, while those with less to invest were left without help. Today, many advice firms rely on existing business for around 80% of their revenues. Many also have asset thresholds of, say, £250,000. Below this, they won't take a client on. Here is Therese Chambers again. In order to undertake a holistic financial plan for a client, that's a lot of work. Yeah. It's a lot of work to do that properly. Um, and it, it, you know, it carries quite a lot of overhead. Um, and that's why we're bringing forward proposals for um, a core investment advice regime, which does not involve a holistic financial plan that looks at every aspect of someone's um, financial health and well-being, but is really targeted on getting people to take that first step into the world of investment, where we want to reduce the regulatory overhead, um, make it easier for firms to give that type of advice, um, and make it easier for consumers to, to step in. The jury is out on whether the FCA's new streamlined advice regime will work. With many sceptical, they will be able to change the commercial incentives in the market. In the past, when people have tried to offer low-cost advice, this has almost never worked commercially. Despite many predictions robo-advice would be the future, the market failed financially, with young low-asset clients failing to make robo-business models work. One recent development we are seeing is some banks returning to advice again 10 years after the RDR caused them to exit the market. One such bank is Lloyd's. Here is Jackie Leeper, CEO of Lloyd's investment platform Embark. The bank, we are working with the teams there to develop this sort of hybrid proposition that you're outlining where, you know, we launch some sort of digital advice 
services and then we'll look at what human assistance we need to wrap around that so that's that's in development at the moment and mm. there'll be a, a fair bit of customer testing we'll do as part of that we never completely came out jack we always did provide a sort of wealth service for high net worth through the private banking service yeah. that that then the advice part of that became the gv with schroeder's personal yeah. wealth but but if you like this is us recognizing that actually there needs to be more support and there's an opportunity to support mass market one of the main aims of rdr was to remove advisor bias when selecting investments but despite the commission ban advisors are still being bought out by product providers and the deals are in some cases creating what some see as bias and distortions in fund selection here is zero support managing director phil young I think it was predictable at the time was because you can't rent firms, if you like, through commission or through marketing packages. Um, inevitably, we're going to see the next wave of, um, of of acquisition of both network support services firms, advice firms, etc., by distributors, because that that became the only way really to to influence the direction of travel. Um, equally, we've seen an explosion in those firms that haven't been acquired. Um, actually moving into the manufacturing space themselves, so setting up their own uh, funds, discretionary permissions, uh, white label platforms seems to be a, a new thing in particular at the moment. Um, and these are ways of both, both controlling how things work and, and, and where your client's uh, money is invested and equally um, claiming a little bit um, of margin from, from the value chain doing it that way as well. So. I think that's that's where things have headed, and you can you can argue quite strongly that that's created bias in its own right, a different form of bias. In some cases, advisors have paid higher multiples for their businesses if they can transfer client assets onto the acquirer's investment proposition or platform. I've seen deals um, offered to to firms where it's still very clear that the the amount that they will get paid to sell their business is connected, whether it's upfront or part of an earnout. Um, it's 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 very strongly connected to the amount of fund flow that they transfer to, to their to their own business going further forward as well. So there's no two ways about it. That creates a, a form of bias in the market, and um, and that that's where it's it's that's where it lies. I think at the moment these sorts of exit deals that we see in the industry, which we, are, we can all see that it's funded by um, by product margin at the back end of it all. And the various multiples um, that we can see out there don't add up if you're just buying an advice firm. They add up from the perspective of, um, of margin right throughout the whole of the value chain. To me, if advisors are being paid more for their businesses, if they transfer clients to certain funds, then these deals look like just another form of commission that still exists today. We put this to the FCA's Therese Chambers. Something that we're really looking forward to actually is July of next year when the consumer duty goes live um, in our rule book because that imposes a whole fresh set of really stringent requirements on firms which at their heart say you've got to put the best interest of your customer first. Um, and they, these are exactly the types of situations that we will want to be examining through the lens of the consumer duty. And say, so is, is that a foreseeable harm that you're causing to your consumer, to your customer, but through that, that pattern? And if it is, um, then we'll need to do something about it. 
Charles, we're coming to the end of our three-part RDR series. What have you learned from recording this podcast? Well, one of the things that surprised me was the reaction against the reforms. I've been at NMA since 2014, so I haven't really known anything else in the advice world. We were always told this was the best thing for the profession. And to me, it seems like this was an inevitable set of reforms. But there was some significant pushback at the time, particularly from some of the legacy providers, platforms and advice companies. I think it's also particularly strange because most of them seem to have done all right since RDR. It wasn't really a roadblock for the likes of St. James's Place or even these big platforms. Uh, So I'm a bit surprised that they were so against them. Jack, what do you think you have learned? Well, one of the things that several people told me when making this series was just how adaptable advisors are. We had so many predictions back in the day that RDR would cause this mass exodus of advisors or they wouldn't be able to pass their exams or get their clients on board with the new model. And in the end, none of those predictions were borne out. And actually, if you look back at almost every other big change for advisors, whether it's COVID or pension freedoms, advisors almost always come out the other side stronger. The other thing I found when making this series was some of the first financial planners to drop commissions. In the first episode, we spoke to Phil Melville and Gene McIntyre. They told me they didn't drop commission just because it was in the client's best interest, but actually they dropped it because it was a commercial decision to ensure they had their own businesses where they controlled their income and were not servants to the life companies. And if you look back at what's happened since then, when advisors moved to fees, their businesses became incredibly profitable and valuable to acquirers. And we can see that from some of the multiples flying around today and the interest from private equity. But in the end, that fuels part of the problem because the more advisors get acquired, the less advisors there are in the market. So the advice gap grows. So in some ways, RDR has been a victim of its own success. It's a very interesting thought to end our series, Jack. Thank you so much for listening to the story of RDR. If you liked this podcast, please remember to subscribe to The Advice Show on Spotify or other platforms. This is a CityWire studio production written and narrated by Jack Gilbert and Charles Wormsley and produced by Neve Doyle. Scottish Mortgage seeks out lateral thinkers like academics, authors and experts in the industry to shape our investment ideas. Not the usual suspects and narrow mindset of financial analysts and investment industry commentators. That way, we continue to build a portfolio that reflects real-world progress, not financial world noise. Scottish Mortgage is managed by Bailey Gifford. A key information document is available by visiting baileygifford.com. As with any investment, capital is at risk.